Good afternoon. I'm Hans H. Stein, and I'm a professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And I would like to talk to you today about how to use soybean products in diets fed to swine. And first of all, let's look at the composition of soybeans and soybean meal. If we look at soybeans first, we'll see we have moisture in them, about 10%. We have minerals or ash, that is 5%. We have fat, that's 19%. Protein is 35%. And then we have carbohydrates. And we divide the carbohydrates into sugar, oligosaccharides, and fiber. And the sugar and oligosaccharides combined are about 16%, whereas the fiber is about 15%. Now, the fiber in this case is not an analyzed value. It's actually a calculated value, and it is a difference between the concentrations of all the other nutrients in 100%. So it's a number that is calculated by difference. If we were to analyze, say, NDF in soybeans, we would get a number that is a little bit lower than what we have here, maybe 9 or 10%. But this is a composition of soybeans. We don't feed a lot of soybeans to pigs. Most of the soybeans we feed, we actually feed in the form of soybean meal. And the soybean meal is either dehulled or not dehulled. And we can see in the middle column here and in the right column that if we assume the moisture is still 10%, which means the dry matter is about 90% in these soybean meals, then the concentration of minerals will go up to about 6%, but the fat is down to about 1.5% in both dehulled and non-dehulled soybean meal. And the reason is that soybean meal is produced by defatting the soybeans. So of the 19% fat we had to begin with in the soybeans, we only have 1.5% approximately left after these soybeans have been defatted. Because of the reduction in fat, everything else is increased. So protein goes up from about 35% to 47.5% in soybean meal dehulled or 43.2% on average in non-dehulled soybean meal. The sugar and oligosaccharides go up a little bit from 16 to 18.5 or 17.5. And fiber will stay about the same if we have dehulled soybean meal. We can see here that's calculated at 16.5%. However, if the beans are not dehulled, then the fiber would be about 21.8%. And again, remember, these are not analyzed values for fiber. These are calculated values. If we look at the sugar and oligosaccharides, we see we have about 4% free sugars in soybean meal. Sucrose, which is a disaccharide, accounts for about 8%. It can be a little bit less than that or a little bit more than that, but on average, we have about 8% sucrose in soybean meal. And then we have what we call galacto-oligosaccharides or alpha-galactosides. And that's about 6.5% on average. It can vary among different varieties. So it can be a little bit less than 6.5%. It can also be a little bit more than 6.5%. And the galacto-oligosaccharides consist of three different oligosaccharides. One is called raffinose, one is called stachyose, and one is called babascose. And we can see stachyose is the one that has the greatest concentration among these three oligosaccharides. And stachyose is easily fermented in older pigs. However, 
pigs that are relatively young, that means the first couple of weeks after weaning, they don't handle this stachyose very well, and they actually can get some diarrhea, and they have low digestibility of stachyose, and therefore stachyose has a negative impact on gross performance of pigs right after weaning. It is therefore relatively common to not include a lot of soybean meal in diets fed to newly weaned pigs. Most newly weaned pigs get diets that are containing only 10 to 15% soybean meal, and the reason is that pigs don't tolerate this stachyose very well. The main reason for including soybean meal in diets fed to pigs is to provide amino acids in the diets. So let's talk a little bit about the amino acids we have in soybean meal. We can see here in the blue bars we have the concentration of amino acids in non-dehauled soybean meal and in the orange bars we have the concentration in dehauled soybean meal. And we'll see here among the most limiting indispensable amino acids, we have slightly greater concentrations of amino acids in the dehauled soybean meal than in the non-dehauled soybean meal, and the reason simply is that we have more protein in the dehauled bean meal than we have in the non-dehauled soybean meal. However, more than the concentration of amino acids, the quality of the protein is also important. And we look at this slide, we have protein concentration for soybean meal here, we have it for corn, and we have it for distillers dried grains with solubles. You will see these three ingredients, they contain 47.5, 8.3, and 27.5% crude protein, respectively. If we calculate the concentration of each amino acid as a percentage of the total crude protein, then we will get a measure for the quality of this protein. And not all proteins have the same quality when they are fed to pigs. And we'll see here that lysine has a concentration of 6.35% in soybean meal, but only 3.13% in corn and 2.84% in DDDS. For methionine, the picture is the opposite. We have a greater concentration in corn and DDGS than we have in soybean meal. Threonine is relatively close for all three ingredients, but when we come to tryptophan, which is oftentimes the second limiting amino acid in diets fed to pigs, we can see again that the concentration in soybean meal is much greater than it is in the protein that is present in corn and in distillers dried grains. For Isoleucine, we also have a greater concentration in soybean meal than in corn and DDDS, whereas for valine, it's about the same in all three ingredients. Now, what this tells us is that soybean meal is an excellent source of lysine and tryptophan and isoleucine, and particularly when we compare it to corn and distillers dried grains or any other corn protein for that matter. And one of the characteristics of corn proteins is that they are always low in lysine and low in tryptophan. So by adding soybean meal to corn-based diets, we make up for those deficiencies, and that's why corn and soybean meal complement each other. And you'll also note here that soybean meal is relatively low in methionine, but corn and DDDS are relatively high in methionine, so also in that case do the two sources of protein complement each other. You can also express the amino acids in soybean meal relative to the requirement of the pig. And in the column here in the middle, we'll have the requirement 
of the pigs for each amino acid expressed as a percentage of the requirement for lysine. And for methionine, pig has a requirement of 30% of the lysine requirement. For methionine plus cysteine, it's 60%. For tryptophan, it's 18% and so forth. And if we do the same calculation for the amino acids in soybean meal, we can see here that methionine and methionine plus cysteine are 22 and 47% respectively of the concentration of lysine. And we will see for both of these two values, they are less than the requirement for the pig. So again, that shows that soybean meal is relatively low in methionine and methionine plus cysteine. However, when we look at tryptophan, threonine, isoleucine, and valine, we'll see that the soybean protein has a greater concentration than what is required by the pigs. So again, soy protein will greatly enhance the quality of the protein that a pig will receive because it has a high concentration of the indispensable amino acids. However, when we formulate diets fed to pigs, we formulate diets not only based on the concentration of the amino acids, we also formulate based on the concentration of digestible amino acids. And to do that, we need to have a digestibility value for each amino acid that is present in soybean meal. And the way we determine these digestibility values is by inserting a little cannula into the distal ileum of the pig because we need to collect the fluids that are coming out of the distal ileum of the pig, and that can be done only if we have a cannula in the small intestine there. So we have to do a small surgery, put in the cannula into the intestines, and then we can actually open that cannula and we can get fluids out, and then we can analyze that, and from there we can calculate the ileal digestibility of amino acids. And when we look at the standardized ileal digestibility of amino acids in soybean meal, we'll see here that the digestibility of most amino acids in dehulled soybean meal is slightly greater than in non-dehulled soybean meal. And the reason for that is that the digestibility of amino acids in the hulls is a little bit less than in the rest of the soybean protein. And because there are more hulls in the non-dehulled soybean meal than in the dehulled soybean meal, we get a little bit greater digestibility for most amino acids in the dehulled soybean meal. If we compare the digestibility of amino acids in soybean meal to the digestibility of amino acids in a couple of other protein sources, we'll see here that the digestibility of amino acids in soybean meal, which is shown in the red bars, is greater than the digestibility of amino acids in canola meal, which is shown in the yellow bars, and quite a bit greater than the digestibility of amino acids in DDGS, which is shown in the blue bars. From that, we can see that not only does soybean protein have great quality and we have relatively high concentrations of amino acids in soybean protein, but we also have a relatively high digestibility of these amino acids. And in particular, when we compare the digestibility of amino acids in soybean meal to that of other protein sources, we see that the digestibility is pretty impressive for soybean protein. I also want to talk a little bit about the effects of soybean oil on amino acid digestibility. And here we have some data from an experiment we conducted in our lab a few years ago. And we have the average digestibility of lysine, methionine, threonine, and tryptophan 
from soybean meal and soy protein concentrate. The yellow bars here represent these feed ingredients without any oil added to the diet, and the red bars represent the digestibility of soybean meal and soy protein concentrate when we added 7% soybean oil to the diet. And what we'll note here is that for all four amino acids, we see a significant increase in digestibility when we add oil to the diets. And we have actually repeated this experiment a couple of times and observed the same thing in other experiments. So we are convinced that addition of soybean oil to diets increases the digestibility. We don't have a definitive answer on why that is, but we believe that the reason soybean oil has this impact on amino acid digestibility is that by adding soybean oil to the diets, we reduce transit time, that means the passage rate in the intestinal tract of the pigs, and therefore the enzymes have more time to digest the proteins, and there's more time for the amino acids to be absorbed over the intestinal wall. So we believe that is the reason we see this increase in digestibility when we add soybean oil to the diets. When soybean meal is produced, one of the steps that is required during that process is that the soybean meal has to be toasted or heated. And there is a risk that this heating step can damage the protein in soybean meal. So let's talk a little bit about how to avoid that and how to check if soybean meal has been heat damaged. First of all, let's briefly go through the process that can result in damage of protein in soybean meal and in any other feed ingredient. The chemical reaction that may take place after heating is called the Maillard reaction. And the Maillard reaction is mainly a problem for lysine, but it will impact all amino acids in the protein. But using lysine as an example here, we'll see that lysine starts out being converted to some shift bases if we apply heat to the protein. Those shift bases can be converted back to lysine, in particular if they are put in an acidic environment. However, if we further heat the protein, then the shift bases, instead of converting back to lysine, will be converted to compounds that we call amadoric compounds. And from this point forward, there's no way back. So we cannot convert amadoric compounds back to lysine. However, if we continue to heat the protein, the amadoric compounds may be converted into premelanoidins and melanoidins. And melanoidins are cyclic compounds that are completely undigestible to pigs. What happens here during this reaction is that the amino group of lysine, which is supposed to contain a nitrogen group and two hydrogens, that amino group can be converted so it contains a nitrogen, one hydrogen, and one sugar molecule. This reaction will take place if the protein is heated at the same time as we have sugars available in the reaction. And remember, when we talked about the composition of soybean meal, we talked about the presence of sugars and sucrose in soybean meal. So every time we heat soybean meal, there will be sugars available. And those sugars can then be used in this Maillard reaction and turn lysine into an unreactive lysine by attaching this sugar molecule at the nitrogen instead of one of the hydrogens. 
So by doing that, we have converted a reactive lysine into an unreactive lysine. And the unreactive lysine cannot be utilized by the pig for protein synthesis. Some of the unreactive lysine cannot be absorbed, but some of it will be absorbed. Generation of amadoric compounds will reduce lysine digestibility and it will also reduce the analyzed concentration of lysine in the soybean meal. Generation of melanoidins will result in destruction of lysine. So if we have converted a lot of lysine into melanoidins, then we will have a reduced concentration of lysine in that protein. So that's a general reaction that takes place when we overheat feed proteins, including soybean meal. Here's some data from an experiment we conducted in our laboratory. And in this case, we started out with one sample of soybean meal. We call that the control sample. That's just regular dehalt soybean meal. We then autoclaved that sample for either 15 or 30 minutes at 125 degrees Celsius. And you can see here that the color changed, meaning it became more brown as we heated it. And therefore, we assumed it was heat damaged. We also took one sample that we often dried at 125 degrees Celsius for 30 minutes. And you can see here that the color did not change when we oven dried the soybean meal. And on the previous slide, we talked about generation of melanoidins if lysine is heat damaged. And melanoidins are brownish pigments. And therefore, the more melanoidins we have, the browner the feed protein will become. And in this case, we can clearly see that the soybean meal became browner. And we also measured that by determining the L star value and the A star value. And L star value goes down from 76 to 52.5. And the A star goes up from 3.4 to 12.5 as we autoclave these samples. So we can clearly see that the color changed when we autoclave them. However, the oven dried samples did not change in color, and we can also see both L star and A star values here did not change. So this means that it's not only the amount of heat we apply to the protein that is important, it's also the type of heat. And autoclaving applies heat in the presence of water and at a high pressure, and that's the reason we destroy the protein when we autoclave it. Whereas oven drying here is a dry heat without any steam or water application, and there we don't get that same destruction of the protein. We then fed these proteins to pigs, and here are data for the control and also for the two autoclave samples. And we can see here that as we autoclaved the samples for either 15 or 30 minutes, the digestibility, both the apparent ileal digestibility, which is shown in the red graph here, and the standardized ileal digestibility, which is shown in the blue graph, both of these graphs go down as we heat treat the soybean meal. So clearly, we have reduced the digestibility as we heat treated the soybean meal. As we saw on the first slide about the Maillard reaction, heat damage will not only reduce the digestibility, it will also reduce the concentration of lysine in soybean meal. And on this slide, we can see that group protein did not change among the heated soybean meal samples. However, the lysine was reduced from 3.05% to 2.83 in the sample that was autoclaved for 15 minutes 
2.69% in the sample that was autoclaved for 30 minutes, and it was not changed in the oven-dried sample. So we saw before that lysine digestibility was reduced when we autoclaved the sample, and here we can see that lysine concentration is also reduced. So again, as we saw on the first slide about the Maillard reaction, both lysine digestibility and lysine concentration is reduced when we heat damage soybean meal. Now, because the protein is not changed when we heat damage the soybean meal, we can actually estimate the degree of heat damage by calculating what we call the lysine to crude protein ratio. That means we take the lysine as a percentage of crude protein. And if we do that, we'll see that the control soybean meal here has a lysine to crude protein ratio of 6.29. The autoclaved sample for 15 minutes has a ratio of 5.75, and the sample that was autoclaved for 30 minutes has a ratio of 5.57. So the lysine to crude protein ratio is reduced as we heat damage the soybean meal. We can also see here that the oven-dried sample has the same lysine to crude protein ratio as the control, again indicating that the oven-dried sample was not heat damaged. So what we have seen here on heat damage is that if we calculate lysine as a percentage of crude protein in soybean meal, then we can estimate the degree of heat damage in this soybean meal. And in general, if lysine to crude protein ratio is greater than 6%, then the meal is not damaged. But if it's less than 6%, then we probably have a heat damaged soybean meal. So we recommend that users of soybean meal calculate the lysine to crude protein ratio, and by that they can easily determine if this soybean meal is heat damaged or not. If it's above 6%, it's not heat damaged. If the lysine to crude protein ratio is less than 6%, it is heat damaged. Now, soybean meal provides amino acids to the diets, and that's the main reason why we use soybean meal in diets fed to pigs. However, soybean meal also provides quite a bit of phosphorus. So let's talk a little bit about the digestibility of phosphorus in soybean meal. This slide shows the concentration of phosphorus in soybean meal. We'll see in this case we have a total of 0.66% phosphorus in dehalt soybean meal, which is close to the average we find in soybean meal. If we analyze for phytate, we'll see there's 1.51% phytate in soybean meal. And phytate is a small molecule that can bind six molecules of phosphorus. So we can calculate how much phosphorus is bound to phytate. And on average, that's about 28.2%. So if we take 28.2% of 1.51% phytate, then we can calculate that about 0.43% phosphorus in soybean meal is bound to phytate. And then from there, we can calculate how much of the phosphorus in soybean meal is not bound to phytate. And that value is the difference between the total phosphorus and the phytate-bound phosphorus in soybean meal, in this case, 0.23%. Now, pigs and poultry, they don't digest the phytate-bound phosphorus very well. So out of the total of 0.66% phosphorus here, it's only about one-third of the 0.23% that is easily utilized by pigs. The other 0.43% are usually not utilized by pigs. 
they are excreted in the manure from the pigs and therefore if the manure is not spread on the fields it can contribute to environmental problems. However, if we add the enzyme phytase to diet fed to pigs, then we can increase the digestibility of phosphorus because we can break the bond that binds the phosphorus to the phytate molecule and liberate some of that phosphorus. And we can see here that by adding phytase to soybean meal, we can pretty dramatically increase the digestibility from about 44% up to more than 70% in soybean meal. So by doing that, we actually have a pretty high digestibility of phosphorus in soybean meal. But even without phytase, we have a relatively good digestibility of about 44% in soybean meal. So phosphorus is well utilized in soybean meal when we feed that soybean meal to pigs and in particular when we add phytase to the diets. When we feed soybean meal, we also get energy. And we can determine the digestibility of energy by subtracting the energy that is excreted in the feces from pigs when we feed them soybean meal. And if we also subtract the amount of energy that is excreted in the urine from the pigs, then we can calculate the metabolizable energy in soybean meal. Here are data from six different experiments in which we have determined the metabolizable energy in dehalt soybean meal. And we'll see here there's a little bit of variation among these six experiments, but on average we have about 4,000 kilocalories of energy per kilogram dry matter in soybean meal. This value is actually a little bit greater than what has been shown in previous research, and it appears that over the last 10 or 15 or 20 years, the soybean meal varieties that we are growing now, they actually contain a little bit more energy than what we had in the past. So it is appropriate to use a value for metabolizable energy in soybean meal of about 4,000 kilocalories per kilogram dry matter. And if we compare that to the book values, we also have values for digestible energy, the DE. You can see here that the values we have gotten at the University of Illinois over the last few years is about 4,292 kilocalories per kilogram dry matter for DE and about 4,017 kilocalories per kilogram dry matter for metabolizable energy. And if we divide the ME by the DE, we'll see that ME is about 94% of all the DE. However, the book values which were published in the NRC publication in 1998 states that there's only 4,094 kilocalories per kilogram dry matter for DE and 3,755 kilocalories per kilogram dry matter for ME. So that is a difference of more than 200 kilocalories per kilogram dry matter for ME, and it appears that the newer varieties of soybeans that we are growing now they result in more DE and more ME in the soybean meal than what we had in the past. So we probably need to update those book values. So the bottom line is that there's actually a little bit more energy provided in diets fed to pigs when we add soybean meal to the diets than what we had in the past. So a few conclusions from this presentation. We have seen that soybean meal is an excellent source of amino acids that can be used in diets fed to swine. The amino acid composition is very favorable relative 
to the requirements of pigs, and we also saw that we have a very high concentration of digestible amino acids in soybean meal, and that the digestibility of amino acids in soybean meal in general is greater than that of other protein sources. And soybean meal can easily provide all the amino acids that are needed in the diet fed to pigs above 20 kilogram body weight. We also saw that soybean meal contains both calcium and phosphorus and the digestibility of phosphorus is greater than what has previously been determined and in particular if we add phytase to the diet then we can get digestibility of phosphorus that is about 70% which is much greater than previously reported. And likewise, the concentration of digestible energy and metabolizable energy in soybean meal is greater than in corn, and the energy value for soybean meal is greater than what we have for the current book values. So we actually get more energy into the diets when we use soybean meal than what we assumed in the past. And that is likely because the varieties of soybeans we grow today, they result in a greater concentration of energy in soybean meal than what we had in the past. So that concludes our presentation here. So I want to thank you for your attention. For more information about soybean meal and other feed ingredients fed to pigs, please visit our website at nutrition.ansi.illinois.edu. And on the website, we have lots of information about many different feed ingredients. There's also a newsletter that is free. And all you have to do to subscribe is to provide your email address, and once a month you'll then get our newsletter. There are also many previous podcasts on the website that you can listen to if you want to. Thank you again for your attention.